reading from the New Living Translation out of necessity. The Lord now, this one, the Lord now chose 72 other disciples and sent them ahead in pairs to all the towns and places he planned to visit. These were the instructions to them. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his field. And our focus for today is in verse number three. Now go and remember that I am sending you out as lambs among wolves. Verse number four and five will be in focus as well today, so we want to proceed to read them. Don't take any money with you. It's a very strange journey, isn't it? Don't take any money with you, nor a traveler's bag, nor an extra pair of sandals. And don't stop to greet anyone on the road. Whenever you enter someone's home, first say, may God's peace be on this house. And the instructions continue, but we'll end just there. The Lord add blessing to the reading of his word. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we honor you and thank you for who you are. Thank you for the opportunity that you've given us to gather together on this very precious second Sunday of the year. We're grateful for this fresh season, this new year that you have so graciously blessed us with. And we ask, Lord, that you will grant us the ability to grasp the reason why you have kept us alive and why you are enabling us to have the opportunity to hear your word. We seek this message today through Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, with thanksgiving. Amen. You may kindly be seated. Praise God. As the new year has commenced, you know that we have launched a new theme, Community Transformation, a call to harvest. Last week, we commenced with laying the foundation and observed the fact that the Lord made this significant step in this chapter in order to expand the mission for his people. So in addition to the 12, he now selected 72 others. And we applied that to our lives, showing the fact that we need to broaden our scope and begin to see things from a widened, expanded angle. In part number two today, I'd like us to focus on the gospel mandate. The gospel mandate. Still in Luke chapter 10.
What is a mandate? I'd like to begin there. A mandate is an official order or commission to do something. I just introduced and welcomed home uh, Ambassador Mwamba a short while ago. People who go in those capacities on behalf of a nation understand what an ambassadorial mandate is. It spells out what they are supposed to do on that tour of duty. A mandate is an official order, a commission to do something. Some related words to a mandate would be instruction, decree, direction, command, order. I've already said order. That's what a mandate is. So it sets the parameters, defines the framework, actually shows the pathway. Since on the crossover night, we use the imagery of um, a vessel such as an airplane that is taking off. A mandate would very well represent that initial runway on which that 747 positions itself or is positioned in order for it to go to its destination. And when it's landing, it looks for, for the same. It looks for a runway. And if, if it overruns the runway, you know that that is not a safe landing. It's only a safe landing if it gets onto that runway, gets back down, begins to slow down, and everybody feels settled. We've seen some tragic occurrences where a plane that's landing because maybe of bad weather or something else that's happening, maybe happens to overrun the runway, and it's definitely an accident. Many things happen. Sometimes people die, but it can be very tragic. A mandate in life is necessary for us to be able to determine and become aware of. But in the case of God's children, our mandate revolves around the gospel. So let me take time to say something about the gospel because we're dealing today with the gospel mandate. The gospel mandate. So it's a qualified mandate we're dealing with. Let's look at this modifier, the gospel. The gospel is understood as the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ. And, and, and in a year like this one, I want us to be able to revisit this and keep it as basic as possible. The gospel, unfortunately, has become many things to so many people. It's been replaced by so many things. Some of them are supposedly, or in fact, inherently, good things. But they're not the main things. So they've actually distracted us from the main thing. And once we are distracted from the main thing, there is a problem. A number of things that we find churches preoccupied with may actually be non-essentials. 
a number of things that believers find themselves preoccupied by, maybe non-essentials. And in a year like this one, we need to watch. What could be some of those non-essentials? They are distractions. Festus, it's good to see you. So I have just moved from my sermon, and I'm talking to you. This could very well be a distraction. Why are you here? It's good to see you. Our eyes have been given to us so graciously by God to help us to sight things. So we see things and we see where we're going. We could be very, very, very um, different people if we didn't have this pair, the set of eyes that we have. And we know that there are people who lack sight and they develop other sensibilities in order to do the things they must do. And once they develop those sensibilities, they do those things just as well as anybody else. Essentially, they are as human as anybody else. But if we take sight as the norm for how God made us, once sight turns somewhere else other than where it ought to be, we observe the very things that the sight has turned us to. And our attention goes there. When it comes to the gospel, we must be thinking, what is it that is taking our attention away from the gospel? Last week, as we discussed this broadened scope, we also bemoaned some things that we know have become very real. For many believers, evangelism is no longer the norm. We have to preach probably 10, 20 sermons before you can begin to think about evangelism. In a year when we are talking about the harvest, may evangelism become the norm for you and I. Somebody shout hallelujah. And so for the most part this morning, I bring a very simple set of ideals for us to reflect on. And these revolve around what a mandate does for you and I. What a mandate does. Number one, a mandate will preoccupy you with the main task. Number two, a mandate positions you to manage distractions. Number three, a mandate prepares you for additional instructions. Those three things I want us to really reflect on very carefully today. How does a mandate preoccupy you? When we suggest that a mandate preoccupies you with the main task, We're suggesting that we then need to identify what the main task is in this life. 
for the child of God, our main task is to present the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I have said before, if you're an accountant, you're first of all a Christian who happens to be an accountant. In over 40 years of ministry now, I have watched how the things that God has privileged us with in terms of career, in terms of um, tasks that we have the opportunity to undertake here on earth, I have seen how those things have actually ended up being the main things we do. Now, that's the reason why the task of the propagation of the gospel becomes incidental in our lives. But for the child of God, that should not be so. It's your career that's in fact incidental. So let's, let's think about this properly. God brought you and I onto this earth with a purpose to be an extension of his will and an extension of that mandate that he placed in his son. So in order for you to do this, he has given you a job opportunity. That is the reality. And if you can invert that properly, your number 20, year 2022 will become a year with a difference. The norm, humanly speaking, is to make whatever our profession is the main thing. That may be so for those who don't know Christ. Because up until people come to know Christ, they probably don't understand why they're here on earth. Those are eternal questions that people must answer. Why were you born? Why are you here? Why are you alive? Why did God create you and I? These are very important questions. And because people have not attended to these questions properly, we see people preoccupied, for instance, with making money. And when they've made the money, and they are able to occupy a huge market share within their area of industry, they become global players, they become preoccupied with running the agenda of the world. So I can tell you today that it is not accidental that today you can pick up and look around at who is who around the world. Who is on the Forbes list? Who are the players that are running the agenda of the world? Those players are where they're at because of what they have earned and they focus on that. They use what they have earned, especially the money, to control. I have often talked about what the Lord presents to us in Psalm 2. He says, why do the heathen rage? Why do the nations and why do they imagine vain things? Why do they conspire 
During this time of the pandemic, the word conspiracy has become very, very common. We've heard about conspiracy theories. We've heard about this and the other. Conspiracies do exist, not just in the pandemic area, around the world. And people have occupied themselves. There are cartels. There are nations that run the affairs of other nations. Do you hear me? There are nations that actually run and control the affairs of other nations. They probably think that's why they live. They probably think that is why they exist. And God forbid that those who either call themselves the G7 or the G20 probably think that's why they are there. They have a lot to offer. And smaller nations look up to them. But these are big clubs of big boys. Right now, Ukraine is in a little bit of fear. Because a big nation called Russia is at its border in the Crimea area. Another big boy called America says, Russia, if you do anything to Ukraine, you, uh, we will respond very decisively. That's Mr. Biden representing the big boy, America. And so Putin and Biden are in the process of talking. The whole world listens. I can tell you that these big boys, these big nations, consider this part of their mandate. To run and at least control the interests, their interests, by placing their interests in other countries. Many things happen to try and distract them. They are focused on that mission. But I would like to declare to you and I that that's not the reason why God set up nations. That's not the reason why God created human beings. So God's people must understand that even if you, be, you took up the highest position in this life, that's not the purpose why God set you up. He would have placed you in that position in order to fulfill a higher purpose. And the higher purpose is what His plan is for your life. And for the child of God, the defining thing must become the day when Jesus is Lord of your life. When Jesus becomes Lord of your life, your accounting, your lawyer profession, your doctor profession, your medical profession, your teaching profession must now line up with who you are in God. And when you make it look that way, you will have taken time to preoccupy yourself with God's mandate for your life. Somebody shout hallelujah. A mandate preoccupies you with the main task. And for the child of God, the main task is to propagate the gospel. So how are you using this incidental thing in your life called your career. 
to propagate God's gospel is the question right now. Are we together? So in Luke chapter 10, verse number 3, after he had selected the 70, and told them the harvest is great, but the workers are few. He says, so pray to the Lord of the harvest that he may send forth workers or laborers. I talked about the big boys. Look at what's happening in Kazakhstan. People were rioting. And the leader of the nation orders that the troops should fire. He describes those rioters as uh, terrorists. And so they fired. And people are killed. This is a man at the top of that nation. Does he know why he's alive? Probably not. Because if he did, you wouldn't be so careless as to order your troops to just fire without warning on your own citizens. And as it turns out, big boy Russia has sent troops inside. So America is wondering, what shall we do? If you watch the news yesterday, the president of Kazakhstan is thanking Russia for sending its troops there. People use power to control. That's their preoccupation when they are in power. To control. And gain more control. And gain more control. For what? You and I who know Jesus Christ must be so glad for the day that we found him because he says, I will give you power, not for anything else, but to be a witness. For you will be a witness after this, when the power of God, Acts 1.8, comes upon you. For you shall be filled. You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. You see, the thing about the mandate is that it preoccupies you with the main thing. And so you and I have a mandate for the gospel. And Jesus says to them, the harvest is plenteous, the laborers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers. And in verse 3 he says, now go. I like the way the New Living Translation puts it. Now go. Other versions say, therefore go. So, therefore go. Meaning, he has set the mandate. Now go. Now go. So he created you, brought you into this life, enabled you to gain an education, and gave you a career. You know him? He's saying with your career, now go. Now go. Did you hear me, child of God? Now go. Tell your neighbor, say neighbor, now go. You're a teacher, now go. You're a doctor, now go. 
You're a student. Now go. Somebody shout hallelujah. Now go. The idea is that this is your commission. It has been said the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing is the gospel. Somebody shout hallelujah. The main thing is the gospel. So God gives you a talent. For instance, some of you young people are given such an ability of creativity. He says, now go. So where do you take that creativity? The creativity, the skill that God has given to you is meant for you to have that as a platform for the propagation of the gospel. That's the reason why, for instance, when we talk about art as an industry, we don't want you to just be following the stuff of the world. The creativity given to you is from the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit wants you to take that creativity and use it for the advancement of his kingdom. You have that talent. You have that skill. You have that, that, that major gifting now. 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 Now, 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 go! Now go! So when you're not taking that talent, that skill, that career, and getting it harnessed for the kingdom, it means that you are not involved in doing the main thing. And beloved, I have come with a message from on high. This is one year when you must find your place again in the kingdom. God has been gracious to you. God has given you all that you need for life and for godliness. Sister Joy, you just celebrated your birthday. We were too busy to wish you happy birthday. But I noticed I caught up. Happy birthday. Why has God given you an extra year? Now go, Joy. Go. Now go. Let's give it up for Jesus. Now go. Brian, you wrote songs for people who today are out there big in industry. We know your life. But God saved you. You don't, have, you, don't have, you don't have to feel bad that you wrote songs and others are out there and they're doing this and the other. But he has saved you. The gift is still in you. Now go. Now go, Brian. Go. Go, Brian. Now go. In Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20, Something similar happens where he says to the disciples, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given authority, all authority, in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them 
these new, teach the, these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. That statement is empowering, very empowering. It says, all authority has been given to me. The big boys, when they run other nations' agendas the way they do, are exercising authority. And you, you hear them when you listen to President Biden and they talk. And any of these people, you hear, this is America, they say. The greatest nation on earth. They speak with pride. Now they've gained that authority economically. They've gained it politically. They've gained it materially. They've gained it in so many ways. And so they stand and take a command. And sometimes even give commands. It's because of where they're sitting. But you have somebody higher than America. The God who made America, the God who made Russia, the God who made Germany, the God who made the United Kingdom. I'm mentioning all these big boys because you know how they want to let you know that they are the ones that matter in this life. Somebody was talking the other day about how they reacted to the discovery of Omicron by South Africa and how they shut out all the small nations. Now you know that now you know that in, in some nation of the big boys, there seems to be a new variant. But they haven't announced closure to others. That, those are the big boys. That's how the world goes. And it is not right. But you and I belong to the greatest kingdom here on earth. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth, Jesus says, has been given to me. Therefore, go. This is your father speaking. This is your Lord speaking. He who saved you is the one speaking. When you are born again, and according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, if anybody be in Christ, he is a new creature. I have come to announce to you, just in case the things of this world, and I'll be coming to that in my second point, just in case the things happening around you, just in case life has happened in such a way that you feel that you are most unfortunate, most unlucky, most difficult circumstances have come literally through your door into your home and it's like they are abiding there. I have come to announce to you, child of God, the day that you became a believer, the day that you came to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you joined the greatest family on the face of the earth. You joined the greatest mandate on the face of the earth. You joined the greatest sense of worth on the face of the earth. You joined what God calls 
you to do as the thing that you must be preoccupied with. And you must understand that when you're a child of God, you belong to the greatest of all families and all of heaven is backing you today. You can no longer live as if you are the most unfortunate. God is on your side. I have come to announce that if God is on your side and that heaven is your agenda, then you must replenish your memory and replenish your understanding of this agenda, your understanding of what your mandate is in this life. I have come to tell you, child of God, God has chosen you to be His translator, giver, ambassador, all the above. That's who you are. Somebody shout hallelujah. That's who you are. So you can't walk in this life as if nothing is happening, as if you are the most unfortunate. In fact, if there are difficult things happening in your life, they are a stepping stone. Why? Because the Word of God says, none of these things move me, for I know that neither death nor life, none of these things, what shall separate you from the love of God? Shall death, shall tribulation, shall any of these things, nay, in all these things, Paul says, we, you are more than a conqueror. That is the heritage of a child of God. I have come to remind you, no weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. Isaiah 54 and verse 17. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. The tongue that condemns you, the same shall you condemn. I have come to remind you to be preoccupied with the main task. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through Christ. Let's go back. Okay, let's go to verse 38, since you have it up there for me. Verse 38. Right, let's, let's start it up. No, 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 no. Verse 38 in Romans. In Romans. All right. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers. So don't let these big boys intimidate you. And that's why we keep speaking to our nation, Zambia. While we know we must sustain bilateral and multilateral relations, Zambia must keep remembering that it has a destiny. Zambia, you have a destiny. And that we cannot sell. No, not to the big boys. No, Zambia has a destiny. We have chosen for ourselves that we are a Christian nation. The Lord Jesus Christ will continue to keep us and sustain us in and through our times of challenge. And even now, I know that we have these things that we depend upon, but we must remember when all is said and done, our hope is not just in the good relations we might have with nations out there. When all is said and done, the keeper and provider and the sustainer of our lives, the sustainer of our economy is the Lord Himself. Zambia, remember that. Verse 39. Neither height nor depth 
nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's give it up for Jesus today. I want us to go back to Matthew 28 before we go to point number two. In Matthew 28, he says, therefore, go. Therefore, go. The original, the grammatical construction in the original is actually a participial clause that suggests as you go. That's what it actually suggests, as you go. So which meaning? The going is a given. It's a given. There should be no question about it. We are all expected to go. So the phraseology there in, in its context, in the original text of the Bible, suggests as you go. As you go, preach. As you go, teach. As you go, baptize. So as you go into the world of economics, preach. As you go into the world of business, preach. Teach. As you go into accountancy, preach. Teach. As you go into the world of education, preach. Teach. As you go into the world of entertainment, preach. Teach. Baptize. As you go, there are many, many sectors where many of you are set up to go, where the bishop will not go. You are the apostle. You are the bishop in those sectors. As you go, preach. Baptize. Somebody shout hallelujah. So Brian, why would God set you up in the banking sector and raise you from a bank teller through the ranks to being a director? Why? How many years? 18 years now? 18 years, right? Huh? 21 years. 21 years. Why would God keep you in the banking sector? The bishop won't be there. You are the apostle in that sector. You are the bishop. You are the prophet in that sector. As you go, Brian, teach, preach, baptize. You're commissioned. In Jesus' name. That's your main task. So the going is a given. All of us must be going. You primary school students. School opens on the 24th. Go. We won't be there in the primary school. You are there. You are there. So do the job. Preoccupy yourself with the main task. Is this making sense to somebody here today? I lift up one hand and shout, praise the Lord. Shout hallelujah. Number two. A mandate positions you to manage distractions. Um, Mr. and Mrs. Bobita. Can I ask you both to come just now? Please come.
All right, I know you're all eager to know what happened here. I just issued some instructions. Uh, Brother Angelus, please come. Thank you, assignment done. You all were wondering what was going on here. I just issued some instructions. And uh, what you saw happening between Mr. and Mrs. Movita is a real life demonstration of what goes on in life. Let us read together. Matthew, sorry, Luke chapter 10, verse 38. In Luke chapter 10, verse 38, you will see Mr. and Mrs. Mubita. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha Welcomed him, sorry. The, the, the writings disappeared for a while. <laughs> it's very serious. A woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, 
I like it in the other version. It says, Martha, Martha. My dear Martha, you're worried and upset over all these details. Another version says you are worried about many things. Yet one thing is needful. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it and it will not be taken away from her. When I called Mr. Novita here, I gave him very simple instructions. You see, his wife is a very important person in his life. But for a while today, it appeared he disobeyed her. But she was part of the instructions, so she knew he was not just defying. He was following the instructions I gave, and the instructions I gave were very simple. Please go until I call you back. And I asked his wife to try and call him back. And you saw how he kept telling her that he was headed somewhere. What Mr. Movita was doing was managing a distraction from a very important figure, from an almost very likely unavoidable person in his life. You see, the distractions in this life come not from things you dislike. They come from things you like. The distractions in this life, the things that distract your attention, come from things you love. Things you are accustomed to. Things, in fact, that you'd like to occupy yourself with. They come from people that you respect. They come from um, ideals that you would very well like to have around you. You have to learn to manage distractions. And there are many, many distractions Things taking us away from the main thing. And Martha, as we've seen here, was preparing a big dinner. Big dinner was not a sinful thing. It was a good thing. In fact, this was a dinner that they were hoping to share with Jesus. So this thing was okay. But at this time, Jesus was in the house. Probably that big dinner was not a priority. Mary sat at the feet of Jesus and was listening to the teaching. Martha judged that as very unfair. Oh, how that sounds familiar. How you look at things around and say life is unfair. So and so, no, 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 God is unfair. Really? He says, she says, is this fair? Doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I am doing all the work? But the Lord said, my dear Martha, you're worried and upset about all these details. I wonder what's taking your attention from doing the work of the Lord. Let me go back. Some of the distraction we have today are the very good things God has given to us. Some of you, sons and daughters, are distracted by your very job. 
Some of you are distracted by your business. Some of you are, are distracted by money. These are good things that God gives to us. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Lord. Some of you young people are distracted by just trying to get a relationship going because you want to get married. But marriage is not the ultimate thing. Do the main thing first. And all these things, maybe somebody's about to get married here and you're being distracted. Well, God has sent me to remind you. God has sent me to remind you. Marriage is a good thing, but it's not the priority. Start looking at the main things that God has put into your life. Are we together? I can say very plainly to you, a journey of 40, 44 years of knowing Christ and 40 years, going 41, of serving him full time. has been a very eye-opening journey. During this time, even when I didn't always carry the title bishop, see, these titles we carry are not an insulation. When I first came here, my wife and I were installed here as, um, as pastors 26 years ago stood before the congregation and said, I needed to share our philosophy of ministry. And I said, in this philosophy of ministry, I said in the first line, and I have that in, in, its, in its original text. I have the eight pages that I, that I read from here in, the, in, in my actual handwriting. And I said, first of all, I am a Christian. Saved by grace. And I am committed to the Lord Jesus Christ, to my wife and family, before I am committed to the church and the other things that I am called to do. Because my first congregation is my family. That's the way the Lord puts it. And the Lord puts it that if I fell there, in that first congregation, I am not qualified to stand in front of you. Because the Bible says, for if you fail to manage your home, how can you manage God's people? So don't look at this bishop, bishop, bishop thing that we carry. Look at the fact that for these 44 years, with the help of the Lord, I have been able, with God's help, to manage distractions. There have been many, but I have come to that place where because I knew Jesus and I've known Jesus, I have been able to keep the main thing, the main thing. And it has been possible all through life. At some point, it was possible to identify a sweet young lady that I knew was meant to live with me for life. And I proposed love and marriage. Yes, I did. That's why we are together today. That was not a distraction. It became part 
of the main thing in the sense that I had already identified the main thing. Everything else was an addition. And it becomes easier to make choices when you keep the main thing the main thing. And so God is in your life. I want you to put him back at the center. And when you put him at the center, things in your family will reconfigure. Things in your business will reconfigure. Don't let your business be a distraction. Don't let your family be a distraction. Don't let money be a distraction. Don't let your girlfriend be a distraction. Don't let your boyfriend be a distraction. Don't let a car and a house be a distraction. Don't let a passion for something out there be a distraction. You must keep the main thing the main thing. And Martha was distracted by many things. But Mary chose the one thing. Tell your neighbor, neighbor, one thing is needful. One thing is needful. And I've come to remind you, beloved, in 2022, as we look at the harvest, learn to manage your distractions. But what we're saying is that the mandate, the mandate, God's mandate, God's commission over your life positions you to manage distractions. And you saw Mr. Mbita. He managed that distraction called his wife for today. He managed her. She tried calling him. Very compelling individual. Because that's the love of his life. But for now, he was under instruction. So are you. My beloved, may the Lord open your eyes. May the Lord open your eyes. Don't let this wonderful thing called career which God has placed in your hands as a responsibility to enhance his cause become a distraction. Let it enrich the mandate God has given to you. And the mandate itself is what positions you to manage those distractions. So I'm saying today, watch out for the Martha syndrome, being concerned about many things. First John chapter 2, verse 15 to 17, talks about the world. It says, do not love the world. Know the things in the world. For all that is in the world. Do not love the, this world. Know the things, know the things it offers. Excuse me, I have to. Don't worry, uh, we'll manage. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only craving for physical pleasure. You're a husband here. Somehow, your new job exposes you to a few other ladies. Some who even have courage to make suggestions to you that they could be the one. And they know you are married. But through your interactions, they're suggesting to you they would be the one. Don't get distracted. 
You become so familiar with your own wife and you think now you can throw her away. Don't dare. I said, don't dare. Don't dare God, don't dare her. Don't dare. Um, you may be sitting this side right now. <laughs> oh, Sayesa! Uta soli! Uta soli! What do they say in Nozi? Uskewa! Uskewa alika! Maybe now you are sitting this side. <laughs> so, so it says here, for the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure. A craving for everything we see. And pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but from this world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what God pleases will live forever. In other words, anyone who stays on the main thing will live forever. Somebody shout hallelujah. Today, beloved, it's mandate day. Revisit God's commission in your life. God's mandate in your life. Your mandate positions you. May you be repositioned in 2022. I said, may you be repositioned in 2022. This mandate that God has placed on your life positions you. And let me say to you, as you watch out for these worldly passions, let me assure you, and I can speak confidently from life, from life experience. It has not always been easy, but I can assure you that when you keep your eyes on your mandate, God will preserve you. And like I said last Sunday, it is like the flood of Noah. As the rains came and the waters were rising, those rising waters also raised the level at which the boat floated. Let me say to you, the things of this life, the troubles of this life, even the things the devil intends to use to push you down. When your focus is on the Lord Jesus Christ, let me say to you, child of God, you are not going under. You are not sinking. God is on your side. And when these things come, they are stepping stones. And when they come around you, trouble, tribulation, those who hate you, those who don't like you, those who wish you dead, hey, come, let them come, left, right, center. You are the apple of God's eye. God is looking after you. As those things come, listen to me, those floods are raising your levels to be able to understand the high level of your mandate, the special nature of your mandate. You will be who God wants you to be. You will do the things God wants you to do. You will engage in the harvest in 2022 because God is on your side. The mandate positions you to manage distractions.
you're going ahead. I said, you're going ahead in Jesus' name. Before we go to the final item, remember the picture of the airplane. When it's taking off, this contrary air is coming. But I explained to you the aerodynamics. The way the airplane is designed is such that that air, that air splits in front of it. A huge amount of that air goes underneath. Some of it goes up. The air that goes up reduces the pressure from up there. The air that goes underneath increases the pressure. That is part of what raises the airplane. The engines are running and propelling. The air flaps, the flaps, as you notice, up and out. Some of the air is going underneath. And at the tail end, there is a tide that is building. And this thing is built for heights. May God grant you those heights in 2022, child of God. You are meant for a high flight. You are meant for a flight that makes a resounding and in impression on life. You are not here to pass by. You are here to make history and history is what you were made for. I have come to remind you that only happens when you keep the main thing, the main thing. God will take you to nations. God will take you to places. God will use your career when it is being harnessed by the mandate to do the things that He wants you to do. So do not fear. You are positioned. Hallelujah. Ah, may you be repositioned. Tell your neighbor, neighbor, your mandate positions you to manage distractions. You will get to the heights. May that be your portion in Jesus' name. <laughs> Lastly, Mandate prepares you for additional instructions. When I called Mr. and Mrs. Mubita here, I gave them some instructions. And our agreement here was that as long as he was going, he was going to wait until I call him back. You see, in your life for Christ, at the time you were born again, he saved you, he washed you, he cleansed you, give you a mandate to go. Go, he says. In verse number three of Luke 11, or Luke, of Luke 10, he tells them, go. And he says, go, for I'm sending you as lambs among wolves. That description is very instructive. Paul discussed that in Philippians chapter 2, and say that you live in a warped and wicked generation. Warped and crooked generation. That's the terrain. The terrain is tough. A flight prepares for turbulence. When turbulence comes, there are ways of handling it. There are ways of handling it. And as a child of God, you need to listen for additional instructions. That is what calls for a daily walk of obedience. 
for God. Hearing his voice in every line, on every single day, because he has not given us the full picture. So, wolves, that described the social structure of the day. People who were powerful were very atrocious in their acts. They loaded it over the masses. They were unjust in so many ways. They were oppressive. And Jesus was basically saying to them, look, you're not going to be like them. But I'm sending you as as, as, uh, as lambs. Lamb is significant because of its level of surrender, because of its submission, because of its innocence. And in the presence of God, never lose your sense of surrender, obedience. If you have promised to follow the Lord, you must keep singing the song we sang many years ago in Scripture Union. Oh, Jesus, I have promised to serve Thee to the end. I have promised to serve Thee to the end. Be Thou forever near me, my Master and my friend. You should be able to remember that you have said, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. The world behind me, the cross before me, child of God, there must be nothing pulling you away from that act of following Jesus. And he wants to give additional instructions. You are that lamb, obedient, surrendered, submissive. And that level of approach in life commands the attention of oppressors, commands the attention of others because they are structured to think by domineering. And when they see some meekness and some level of a different approach, they take note. They take note. And they are used to, in this society, they were used to seeing people scampering and people trying to either revolt or rebel. Then they would exercise more power. But Jesus says, no, no, no. That's not how you're going. You're going as lambs. Because as you go with a different approach, a different paradigm, they will take note. They will say, who is this? So I'll give you an example of David going into the battle. Son of Jesse. He walks into the battle and there are distractions. His own brothers say, who are you? What have you come to do here? Have you come to disturb us again? Where have you left those little sheep? Who have you left those little sheep with? His own brothers. But David was under assignment. The mandate from his father was clear. Go to the battlefront. See how your brothers are doing. And bring me back a good report and assurance. So when all that was happening, the distractions were on. David sees Goliath. And everybody is distracted. They are frozen in the trenches. They are unable to act. But David is on a mission. And the moment he begins to respond, he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? who is defying the armies of the living God. David had insight into what was happening. It wasn't just a regular battle. There was a defiance. 
He goes to Saul. Saul gives him his, uh, um, his uh, armor and he says, no, I can't go in these things. He says, take them. I can't go in these things. All right. He says, I can't go in these things. But my point, when David began to act and follow the instructions he had received from the Lord, Saul took notice. And you know what he said? He asked, whose son is this? Whose son is this? David, fast forward, throws away the armor of Saul, picks up what he knew, the instructions he had grown up with. Picked up the pebbles, picked up the sling. That stone was guided by the power of the Holy Spirit, I must tell you, into that big forehead of the giant. The giant fell. Sensational story. We don't have time to go through everything. But here's what happened. When that giant fell, David walked over. He knew the instructions in their tradition was you cut off the head of the, of the, of, of the giant, of, of um, your, your enemy. So he went there, cut off the head, and went to Saul. And the Bible says he was still holding the, the head of, of the giant in his hands. When Saul now asked him the question, whose son are you? And David didn't have to make many explanations. He said, sir, I am the son of your servant Jesse of Bethlehem. End of story. Jesse had a standing in that society. Jesse represented legacy. Jesse represented a very established level of command in that society. You need not be explaining who you are. When they say, whose son are you? It should become clear to them that you are a child of God. You shouldn't have to say, I am this, I am this, I am this, come on. You are a child of God. You have been born again. You have been forgiven. There is nothing else. And as you live by your mandate, they will know who you are. They will know what you stand for. They will see what is important for you. And I say to you, go out there. Slay the giant of life. God is on your side. And look for these additional instructions. The additional instructions are that on a daily basis, trust and obey. Fulfill the will of the Lord. God is on your side. And in Luke chapter 10, verse 4 to 5, look at the additional details. They, when it says don't take money, don't take this, he was really saying break away from tradition. Pull away from the norm of life. Because in the norm there, if you took a journey, you took extra money, you took a bag, you, the journey was usually long. God is telling them the same thing that was told by Paul to the, to the, Roman, to the Romans. Do not let the world push you into its mode, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
And this is what is there for you, beloved. You must make sure that you prepare yourself for additional instructions. What does all this mean in terms of application? The gospel is our main task. Let it be your primary preoccupation. The gospel is our main task. Let it be our primary preoccupation. Secondly, what does all this mean? I'm asking you to identify your key distractions. Take out a pen and paper now, and you can actually begin to write what the key distractions are. I'm asking you to begin to manage those distractions. Thirdly, what else are we saying today? I'm asking you to pause, to listen for additional instructions from the master of the mandate. When God has called somebody, he will constantly give extra instructions. And this year, some of those instructions will come as we minister here in the pulpit. Some of those instructions will come to you as you pray on your own and God will speak to you. Some of those instructions will come through your immediate leaders in your, uh, in your life groups. Some of those instructions will come as you read the word and as you talk to your wife, as you talk to your husband, as you listen to your parents. Some of those instructions will come in so many ways. I want you to be able to pay attention to those additional instructions. God is on your side. The mandate secures your future. And if you reflect on the mandate, it will preoccupy you with the main task. It will position you to manage distractions. It will prepare you for additional instructions. I have delivered what I have sensed from God needed to be delivered today on the 9th of January, 2022, second Sunday of the year. The Lord bless you, beloved. It's still a happy new.